All right, good evening. Why don't you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, um, beginning in verse 27. Uh, just a real quick note, um, we've already started having um, people send in some of their requests for religious exemptions for mandatory vaccines at their workplace. Um I'm also getting some emails from people who don't attend this church asking for exemptions. Um, unfortunately, we cannot in good faith provide support letters for people that we don't know. Um, the reason being is we are attesting on that letter to their workplace that they hold a sincere, have a sincerely held religious belief. And I cannot... None of us can, in good faith, say that that person does. I'm not saying, nobody's questioning whether they do or not, but for us as a church to attest to that is a whole other thing. That would be, in essence, lying that we know this person and that we can, att- we can testify to that. So if you do have somebody that doesn't attend this church, that wants a religious exemption, the law does not require that your faith leader provide a support letter out there. Um, so your place of business may ask for it um, and everything, and it's up to you how, what you do with that. They may reject you if you don't provide one or not. I don't know. It might be up to the different employers out there um, whether they approve or reject them. But, you know, if you have somebody who's asking you about it, by all means, we can send them the information on what they need to have down there. We have no problem providing what is supposed to be on there, and some advice on it. Um, But share the gospel with them, you know, you and encourage them if they go to some other church that they should be contacting their pastor and asking for one. Um, And uh, if they don't go to any church but they say they're a Christian, then invite them to come to church here so that we can know them and maybe we can have a conversation with them to hopefully gauge and see whether they're truly believers or not. Um, We just, it's a touchy time. We don't want to be seen as um, lying and and also, you know, um, providing these medical exemptions just to whoever asks to make a political point. I personally believe that the mandates are wrong for more than just violating religious beliefs together. I think that it's a matter of conscience and... um, personal freedom as well. So I believe that that person who's requesting whether they're a Christian or not has a right to say no to that. However, we as a church can't say they're a Christian, I know them, and I support their deeply held religious beliefs about this. Um, that's the, the whole reason. So just so you know that, but encourage them if, they, if they're going to a church to reach out to their pastor. If not, invite them here. If you don't know if they're a Christian or not, share the gospel with them you know, and then we can go from there. So just want to um, put that out there for you. Luke 6, um, we're continuing on looking at love. Um, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, so we'll jump over there in a little bit. But I wanted to open with this. So Luke 6, 27, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. 
And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray at this time as we begin to look at kindness, at love being expressed by kindness, Lord, that we would really consider our own hearts, our attitudes, Lord, as we look at the scriptures as a mirror of the Christian life, Lord that we would see our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, Lord, our responses and situations, Lord, and we would weigh them against what your word says, Lord. And where we're found wanting, that we would repent, that we would ask for insight, for strength, for grace to do what's right, Lord. We ask that you would teach us here tonight, that you would speak to us individually, personally, Lord, that we would be um, in one sense, overloaded with application to go from here, Lord, um, and, and live out our lives as Christians, Lord. But we pray that you would speak to us here tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. So Jesus here, obviously, um, Jesus, above anyone else, has said the most radical things taught the most radical way of living that is out there, contrary to human nature. Um, And that's what we see here as Jesus is teaching them about love. Um, And he starts out there with loving your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. And we see that. We see continually through this whole passage of Scripture here, this idea of you you are... Um, suffering under persecution, under mistreatment, or in a bad situation, or maybe just being put out um, because you're having to give of what you have to somebody who doesn't and maybe doesn't deserve it. Um, All of these things. And Jesus tells us that we are to not just begrudgingly, but willingly, cheerfully, with kindness, Give what is being requested of us. Now, just to preface all of this, when we look in 1 Corinthians and we look at that whole list of love, love is patient, love is kind, which is what we're looking at, and and what follows there, 
it's a picture of Jesus. Um, he's the, the perfect personification of what we're looking at here. Um, and we have to always bear that in mind. Um, when we're reading these things, there are some who would take this so far to one side where they would say the Christian has to lay down and has to let them be slapped in the face one side, then the other, and then the other again, and the other side over again, to give everything that they have to somebody, to just be a doormat. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. And that's not when we look at his life and his ministry, that's not how he acted either. He was meek, he was kind, gentle, humble, showed grace to those who didn't deserve it, but he was also strong and bold. Look at how he dealt with the Pharisees. Look at what he did in the temple as he drove out the money changers. Look at um, how he responded to those who criticized him. You know, Jesus, he, he did ultimately, as we see him on the cross, he allowed horrible things to happen to him. And in the end, as he's hanging there on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, right? The greatest act of that kindness, that forgiveness to those who don't deserve it is demonstrated by Jesus. But we as Christians, we're not called to just be, you know, doormats. We're called to stand on the truth, to be bold, and everything. So I just want to preface that there because I think so many people will take this out of context and will say, well, okay, I guess I got to just basically do whatever I'm told and lay down and, and, and all of these things. No, there's a point where you stand for another person or for the truth and in defense of the gospel. You stand and you be bold when something wrong is being done. But when it's being done to you, perhaps there is that moment where you say, you know what, this is wrong, but for the grace, or by the grace of God and for the good of that person, I'm going to show them grace and not return, as Jesus calls. So I think it's a very personal thing and less of a general, you know, this is how Christians always must be, but it's a, a personal, when you're facing these things, you need to look at this. Have you had enemies who have done things to you because they hate you? in your life. How, how do you react in those? Do you return the favor or do you seek to do them good? You know, we live in a, a day and age of division out there. I think all of us have many times, um, maybe if you're not on social media, it's not that big of a deal for you, but all of us have many times put our foot's, feet in our mouths, right? Saying, responding, um, in ways that we never would respond in front of that person, face-to-face, but just unkindly as well. Um, do we do good to those who hate us? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. We, we have a lot of oppression going on, I think, in our country right now for people who stand up for what's right. Do we pray for them? Are you praying for our president? Are you praying for our governor? Are you praying for your boss, whoever's mandating you to get a vaccine, even though it's against your religious beliefs or violates just your personal freedom? Are you praying for them? Are you seeking to bless them? Doesn't mean you fold on the truth, but are you seeking to do good? We need to ask ourselves these things in the specific situations we're in. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Or is your first reaction to clench your fists and to take a swing, right? 
we need to ask the Lord for grace in those situations. We're called to be kind. What we looked at last week, it was love suffers long. So that's the, the negative side of things where it's you have all the suffering, you have all these things happening to you that are wrong to you, and you bear up in it rather than respond, rather than react. But there's the other side, which is the next step that we're looking at is being kind. Do you go even further? I think many times a Christian says, well, I just got to suffer. You know, I just got to bear up under this. You know, I've, yeah, well, I'm called to be patient. Well, I'm be patient. And you can, you know, grumble and complain in your heart when we're actually called to go even further. We're called to be kind, to show goodness. Um, it's interesting in the Old Testament when uh, it was being translated into the Greek for the Septuagint. You guys have heard of the Septuagint. It's called that because it was translated by 70 Greek scholars. Um, many believe that was um, what was being used at the time of the apostles and everything for a majority of the Greek world out there. Um, but what was interesting is when um, they went and they tr- started translating um, into the Greek, um, the Hebrew bears uh, this meaning of kindness being useful and being upright. It actually bears in, this, in its meaning of being um, uh, righteous and, and doing what is right. Um, and so if you were to read um, in the Greek, you would find that the same words that we find for kindness in the Greek here in the New Testament are used um, when it speaks of being upright in the Old Testament, to do what's right. Um, and that should tell us here, you know, obviously that's a translation thing, but the meaning is there. It's an interchangeable word in the Old Testament um, for most of those situations. Um, but that tells us that God's standard of action is being kind. Kindness is doing what is right. Um, it's, it's the right way to go. It's the right thing to do. Um, it's, it speaks of being, it has both sides. It's, it's doing good when you're suffering wrong, but it's also seeking to be useful, to help be helpful, to benefit others. That's where we get our word benevolence, right? To, to, to be benevolent towards someone. It's to be kind, um, to bless them. And we're, we're to seek to do that. And that's what we see as Jesus is teaching here. Um, you know, if one takes away your cloak, says don't withhold your tunic either. Give them what they need. And he goes on and he talks about all of those things. The last part of there, that, uh, this portion of scriptures though, um, if you look at verse 35, it says, but Love your enemies, do good, and land hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Uh, Whereas long-suffering restricts us from action, kindness requires us to act. It comes from Christ's love, from the Holy Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit, right, in Galatians 5. Um, It reflects his love towards us in Colossians 3, as we looked at on Sunday, a couple Sundays ago, uh, where we're told to put on kindness. And here we see that the example is that um, God, the Father, is kind to the unthankful and evil. 
right? The Bible says that he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Christ came to a world full of sinners and died on the cross for them. He was kind to those who were unthankful and evil, and we're called to do that. So our example is Christ. The work that he's done on our behalf is the reason why we do this, why we are kind to others. It's the right response to Christ's work in our heart and our lives. And that's what this is, this being kind, being loving. What is interesting, though, is verse 37, it says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You know, I don't know how this plays out in the life of a Christian when it comes to judgment day, standing before the Lord, right? When we're judged for the words we say and, and what we've done with his names. It doesn't mean that our, we'll lose our salvation. But what rewards will we be losing because of how we've dealt with people here? Um, it's a, it should cause us all to pause and to say, if we... If it says, forgiven, you will be forgiven, does that mean that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven? Now, again, I'm not going to say you're going to lose your salvation over this, but you really need to check your heart, right? Because the Bible says that we are to have love, and if we don't have love for our brethren, which this is an action of love, does that mean we, we don't have the Spirit of God within us, right? Now, you may have that situation you find yourself in and you say, I, I haven't been loving. I'm, I have unforgiveness in my heart. I, I'm not being kind. I'm not, I'm not blessing those who are persecuting me. Um, I'm, not, I'm not doing what I'm called to do. Rather than be concerned if, that you're going to lose your salvation over it, you should be repenting, right? You should be responding in that. You should be asking the Lord to forgive you and to change your heart and your attitude and to give you the grace to do these things. It should be a natural outflowing of the Spirit in your life, of the work that Christ has done. We see throughout scriptures, we see kindness in there. Um, Colossians 3.13, he says, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, right? Because of the work that he's done. Luke 6.36 we read it all already, therefore be merciful just as your Father is also merciful. We're called to do that. That's being kind. That's showing that action beyond suffering, beyond patiently enduring. It's that action of showing mercy, of forgiving. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Right? We're to not just patiently endure wrong. We're to actively work for good. You know, a a great way for us for application for this is to look at the decisions we're facing and truly ask ourselves, am I glorifying Christ? Am I being a true reflection of him in my actions? You know, say you've had uh, somebody uh, lie about you in your workplace, something that they said you said or did or didn't do. Um and you know all the things that they've done wrong in their, at work because you, you've worked closely with them. You know, what's your response? Should your response be to then go and report absolutely everything they've done and point out absolutely everything wrong that they've done to get back at them? 
Or would it be glorifying Christ to go to them, right, and to seek to show forgiveness and a kindness and to, um, as the Bible says, cover a multitude of sins, right? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins, Proverbs ten twelve, covers all sins. There's a time when we, we should overlook. Now, again, it's not, I'm not, we're not talking about sins, you know, where a person is sinning and going to hell, where, where you're not sharing the gospel with them. But I'm talking about when, when something's done wrong to you, do you forgive? Do you cover that? Or do you, are you stirred up in hatred? Proverbs 17.9, it says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Do you deal with that person personally, individually? Or do you go and you gossip about it? Do you share absolutely with everyone all these wrong things that have been done to you? Or do you deal with that person? With the Lord first, I should say, right? In prayer, bringing it to him. Kindness is shown in how we answer and speak to one another. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How do we respond? Now again, there's time for boldness. There is a time, I think, to be harsh, um, but not for the sake of anger or to be uh, mean or biting or to get back at somebody. But many times the soft answer is the right way um, to de-escalate a situation, to show grace. Proverbs 19.22, what is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. And then Proverbs 31.26 for the ladies, speaking of the Proverbs 31 woman, she opens her mouth with wisdom And on her tongue is the law of kindness. We're called in our speech to be kind. I've heard many, and I've been guilty myself, many people say mean things about people that are maybe causing the things that are happening right now or part of all these other things. Um, You know, the persecution of Christians, the... Um, whatever else is going on with the mandates and all these sorts of things. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have, you know, be critical in a good way, but we need to ask ourselves, is my outburst of wrath or anger over what's going on right now, is that reflecting Christ? Again, we have to, we have to weigh ourselves against the Scriptures, This kindness comes from humility. Again, it should be a recognition of what God has done for us. We never, ever deserve the work that Christ has done for us on the cross. Never. But he's shown us kindness, and he's shown us mercy. And we, we are never exalted above another person, even somebody who's not saved, And so if we have that understanding and we have that humility, then we respond not in pride, but in kindness. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, 
what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Again, there's that idea of doing what's right, to do justly, to be active in that kindness, to love mercy, to love showing mercy to people, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what's required of us as Christians. We see the examples Jesus taught, right? The uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember that? Where there was the, the Jewish man who was injured after the robbers had beat him up and they left him for dead after taking everything and he's on the side of the road basically dying. And you have the, um, the Jewish men who were supposed to be righteous walking past and going around him and doing nothing for him. And then you have the Samaritan who's hated by the Jews, who uh, was looked down upon, and he who did not have the same standards of righteousness that these other men had was the one who came and showed kindness to this person who, for all intents and purposes, would have hated him in normal life. And he showed him kindness. He told that parable. We can easily brush it off as just a neat little Sunday school story um, about being nice but it's far-reaching for us. We've got to look at ourselves and say, who is of the house of God? Who's my brother and my sister in the church? It's easy for us to um, accuse, to be uh, gossiping with brothers and sisters in the church, but we have a high standard, right? Jesus says that the world will know us by our love one for another. We need to ask ourselves, how are we dealing with the people around us? Are we helping out? Are we actively seeking to be kind, to bless, to do good towards people within the church? Are we actively looking to be used by the Lord in the life of another in the church? Or are we letting them kind of lay there and suffer? Are we being kind? Do we have division in our church? in the body, in your home? Why do you have division in your home? Why do you have it in the church? James tells us it's because of lust. It's because of our members. It's because of envy and jealousy, right? It's not being humble. It doesn't, it's not demonstrating the love of God. We need to ask ourselves, who is our neighbor that we're supposed to be caring for? that we're supposed to be loving, like the Ten Commandments say. We're to love them and to show that kindness. Joseph was, is a great example for us as well, right? He was persecuted by his brethren. He was sold into slavery. He was um, then mistreated throughout his life as he's there in Egypt. Eventually, the Lord raises him, him up um, And as his brothers come, who hated him, who dealt only treacherously with him, right? And at the end of the day, he recognized that God had turned all of that evil in his life for good. And he didn't just say, I forgive you. He said, I forgive you, and I'm going to show compassion towards you. I'm going to have kindness towards you. And he welcomed his brothers in in their time of need and cared for them and provided food for them and a place to live and brought them in and sheltered them. God had done that, but it was Joseph responding to 
God's love for him and his grace and kindness towards him. He, he went beyond just enduring, long-suffering in that patience um, through the trials. He went beyond that and showed kindness to the ones who betrayed him, and we're called to do that. We are called to live a life that's higher than what natural man says when we look at persecution, but not just persecution. Again, I can't, you know, we, we've looked at that because we have long suffering and then we have being kind. But in that passage um, in 1 Corinthians, it's tied directly together because we have a need to actively show kindness. And it's not, again, it's not just in that situation of suffering. Um, are, we, are we passing by people on the road who need the gospel and not sharing the gospel with them? Are we, uh, you know, do we daily see our neighbor up at the mailbox or in the mornings as you're leaving for work and you never ask them how they're doing and, hey, can I pray for you? Are, are we choosing to isolate ourselves from a world that hates us, that, that we can look at everything going on in front of us and we can say, the world is just getting dark, I just need to lean into the Lord and trust Him and, and keep my head down and just, just press on? Or are we going out and sharing God's love with the people around us? Are we seeking to actively be kind Again, it's that idea of, of doing what's right and to seek to be good towards those around us, to do good for them, for their benefit, not for our own. You know, we can, um, we have the example of Jesus with uh, the man who was a paralytic and his friends let, let him down it, through the roof as Jesus was teaching. Remember that? And, and, uh, he, the man he needed from the outside to be healed physically, he couldn't walk. But Jesus, he gave him more than just what looked like on physical need, what he wanted, what his friends wanted, but Jesus gave him what he actually needed, which was the forgiveness of sins, right? And it's not that we can obviously forgive the sins of another for their salvation, but we should be seeking to share the gospel. You know, it it would be wrong for us to just pass by somebody who's homeless and we give them money, give them food, without at least in some way sharing the gospel with them. We have nowadays in the church this idea of social justice and the social gospel that says the church should just be out there doing all of these kind things for people and you know your actions speak more loudly than your words and and all of these things and you know taking you know uh a lot of what the scriptures say um beyond the point of of you know having the balance of the truth of the scriptures and the righteousness of God and just showing this messy love this this you know uh cheap grace um, where it's 
Jesus loves you, he accepts you, and will do all these things for you. You know, we'll pay your rent when you need it or buy you groceries or do all these things. Those are good things for us to do. But there should be the truth in that as well, sharing what's, what is needed, the gospel. And if we as a church get caught up on either side where we say, I'm, I'm standing on the truth, this is what we're about, I'm just going to preach the gospel to you, but you have a man who's starving with you. And you say, well, what you need is the gospel, and you never help them for food? You can't go to that extreme. On the other hand, you also say, oh, you need food, I'll just buy you food, and God bless you, go on your way. When that person could then, you know, die of a drug overdose or get hit by a car because they're drunk stumbling through the street, and you had a chance and an opportunity to share the gospel with them, right? Those are extreme situations, but we as a church are called to have that, that kindness that does good and right. I think it's interesting, too, that the scriptures, they tie mercy with doing just justice to be right. And that, I think, is also kindness, right? We as Christians are called to stand up for those who are being oppressed, to stand up for those who are being persecuted, to do, to, to do justice on behalf of those who are being wronged, right? Um, to stand up. That's where, where um, a lot of these ideas that we have in our nation of personal freedom, of liberty, um, of the equality of mankind is because of what Christ has done and who he is. He's created all men in his image, right? And we, uh, as believers, we say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I'm no better off than that person is, but for the grace of God. And therefore, we, we are called to stand up, to, to be uh, uh, bold in a day of persecution and wrong being done, and, and to um, protect, to comfort the poor, the needy, right? The widow, the orphan. There should be that balance of action when it comes to protecting others, on their behalf, being bold, being strong, but also being meek and humble when it comes to when we're being wronged personally, right? We're called to do all of those things. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew 18. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. 
Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. For his fellow servant, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So, Do we consider a debt owed to us for a wrong greater than the actual debt that we owe Christ, the eternal judge? Do we, do we view that as greater? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Here's a servant been forgiven so much and had something that was done wrong against him or owed to him by this other servant, and rather than share the same grace and compassion and kindness and forgiveness, he goes and throttles this other servant and throws him in prison. He considered the debt that that person owed to him was greater than what, that, what was owed to Christ, what was owed to the judge, to his master. And we see that there was no forgiveness there. That's the kindness, that, that's the opposite of the kindness that we're to have, is that forgiveness. We're to consider that, again, it's our, we, we look at our place, our position, sinners, only saved by the grace of God. So no wrong that's done to us is greater than the wrong that we've done to Christ. We don't deserve any more than any other person there. And so we have to show that kindness and that forgiveness. And we should be people who are actively seeking to continue to show that kindness. The Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And we don't know if the kindnesses that we show might be the seed that's planted in the life of someone to lead them to Christ. Um, and we need to pray and ask the Lord if we're gonna, if we are being kind, if we're reflecting Him, if we're seeking to truly demonstrate that picture of love. It's Christ's love in our heart that gives us that grace. You know, it, again, th- these are supernatural things that come naturally from the Spirit. Um, I don't know of a, a different way to put it, where where it's the logical outflow of what Christ has done in our lives that we're to seek to do these things, um, to be kind to those around us. It's going to get harder and harder as things get darker and darker around us. You know, um, we've experienced things at our workplace where employees that would have gotten together, gotten along together just fine, you know, telling jokes, normal, you know, how you doing day in, day out, normal things, where now 
there's this animosity that was never there before over, you know, the vaccinations, over political ideas, over these things. We're going to start to see all of that um, come out more and more. The Bible says that in the latter days, the love of many will grow cold. So kindness is going out the window. In general, I mean, general just civility is gone. I mean, we saw it over the last year for people, you know, uh, who chose to not wear a mask for whatever reason. Maybe it's a medical reason. How many people got accosted in places, thrown out because of not wearing a mask or, or had hateful things told to them, um, you know, having all of that done. And, and we see in the world around us that love truly growing cold. Because of that, we as Christians should be shining that much brighter in our kindness in our compassion, in our love, in, in what we are doing to those around us, um, to be gracious, to show the love of Christ. So um, that's what I have for the Bible study for tonight. I had a couple things I wanted to share a prophecy update too, a little bit as well. Um, so, uh, and we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time at the end here. Um, I, I wanted us to pray for Afghanistan and the people there. Um, I'm sure you've all heard we announced it before, too, um, what's been taking place there. Um, there's some crazy things going on. You know, if if you've looked it up online, maybe you follow a, a ministry that, that supports people. Um, we don't support them anymore for a, no, a different reason, but Victor Marks has been dealing with people in Afghanistan um, that they've worked with in the past. Um I know uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Jack Hibbs there, they've had people um, that they're working directly with. Other ministries like um, Voice of the Martyrs and um, International Christian Concern and Open Doors, they all have people that they are working with um, when it comes to Christians and Americans and just even just normal Afghan people that um, things are very scary for them right now. Um and uh, on the personal side of things, we need to be praying for the church there. Um, immediately after all these events started happening, we were receiving reports of um, the Taliban going door to door and finding Christians um, and killing them or throwing them in prison, um, demanding that any Christian that has a daughter in their home to put an X on their door so that the Taliban can come and round up their daughters um, to take them to be brides. Um, uh, pastors have been receiving letters saying, we know where you live and what you do and we're coming for you. Um, the Taliban is stopping busloads of people and pulling them out one by one and taking their phones. And if they find a Bible app or anything Christian on their phone, they're killing them on the spot. Um, there, in the last 20 years, we've had one of the fastest growing churches in the world in Afghanistan. Um, and the majority of them are Muslim converts. And in a society where Sharia law is implemented, um, a Muslim convert is killed on the spot. Um, and anyone who is not from that country or is not Islamic 
is seen as second class. It's called dimitude, where they either pay a price, a tax, um, which is the easy way, or they're forced to recant their faith, or they're killed. Those are the three options, basically. Um, And that's what's taking place in Afghanistan, on top of all the turmoil just for the general people. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the video, or uh, I didn't see the full ending, thankfully, um, but of the plane that was taking off at the airport in Kabul with people just scrambling, trying to get a hold of it and to fly out of the country. One of the people who did that, who fell, was a 14-year-old boy who had was a world-renowned soccer player on the youth National Youth League or whatever there, um, who fell to his death, just trying to get out. Fear there. Um, and the situation is horrific out there. And more and more it's looking like this has been orchestrated to take place. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but um, let, me, let me read what we have here. Um, We find out, this is a quote, we find out that Biden was not ambushed by these terrorists, speaking of the Taliban. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken dropped a bumbler's bombshell. He admitted to Congress on August 26th that he knew about the Taliban plan to sweep through Afghanistan as early as mid-July and ignored the warnings. And he kept assuring the public that any notion of Afghanistan falling to the Taliban after the U.S. troop withdrawal was far-fetched. That's um, our very own Secretary of State. He had early warnings that this was going to take place and didn't do anything about it. Um, And the situation there, you know, it just continues to get worse and worse. Uh, Everyone in that area knew that this was going to take place. I just read reports that Iran and Turkey have been working together to build a wall along their borders, and they have miles and miles of it completed already. And so that's not a a quick, you know, two-week time of construction. This is a long process of a wall that they've been building on their border to keep Afghan refugees from fleeing, excuse me, into their countries and then into Europe after that. So this situation, they knew that it was going to take place, and yet it was allowed to get to this point. Um, and I believe that, that, you know, I don't know the full reasons why. I know why, obviously, the Lord allowed it to get to this point, because it's falling into line with Bible prophecy. We don't read specifically about Afghanistan in Bible prophecy, but... Uh, Let me read this. Um, Can I write it down? Uh, Iran is set to hold a series of war drills with Russia and China. As the hardline regime celebrates the United States' bungled evacuation in Afghanistan and boosts its enrichment of nuclear weapons-grade uranium to historically high levels. Iranian and Russian leaders announced on Monday that their countries, along with China, will hold joint maritime war exercises in the Persian Gulf later this year uh, or early in 2022, according to Iran's state-controlled media. 
The country said they will focus on shipping security and combating piracy as the U.S. reduces its military footprint in the region following its marred withdrawal from Afghanistan. The announcement comes as the rogue countries step up their involvement in war-torn Afghanistan amid a hurried effort by the Biden administration to evacuate U.S. personnel from the country. Iran, Russia, and China have all expressed an interest in replacing the United States as a power broker in the nation and working with the newly installed Taliban government. Iran's foreign ministry announced that Iran is in contact with all parties in Afghanistan to pave the ground for dialogue and reconciliation and that the Russian and Chinese embassies are the only ones remaining functioning and are actually guarded by the Taliban right now in Afghanistan. Iran's new hardline president, Ibrahim Raisi, celebrated what he called America's military failure in Afghanistan last week, saying the Biden administration's military defeat and its withdrawal must become an opportunity to restore life, security, and durable peace in Afghanistan. Iranian officials also have sought to increase ties with the Taliban, historically a regional enemy, as it expands its footprint in the region. So this is falling into the hands of Russia and Iran and China. And, and uh, China's admitted that their stake in the game is the um, treasure trove of rare earth minerals that are in the mountains of Afghanistan that have never been mined. Um, and so they're looking for um, booty up there. And, uh, but uh, for Russia and, and Iran... Uh, these are, uh, it's another step towards um, dominance in the Middle Eastern region. Um, And it's another move even closer towards Israel um, and towards having control and and basically surrounding Israel. Um, This destabilization um, in Afghanistan has also been, I think, the major thing on the geopolitical stage for the United States to step back. We will not be defending Israel. We won't be a friend to them, at at least in more than word. Um, We're not going to be there for Taiwan when China comes after Taiwan, which is going to take place. Um, And we're we're going to see some major things happen. We might, we might, might, choose to enter into a war or fight with China over Taiwan. And maybe that's the thing that America's attention is drawn away from the Middle East, which allows Russia, Iran, Gog, Magog, right, um, Turkey, um, to then move against Israel with Israel being ha- having no allies and no one to defend them, no one to stop them beyond some vague... <laughs> uh, complaint against it as the Ezekiel 38 talks about, right? We see that in the scriptures. Um, what is interesting is that already uh, Libya and Sudan, which are all already nation, all, also nations that are part of that prophecy in Ezekiel 38, um, uh, Russia has a base in Sudan already, a, a, a naval base on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and Turkey has been operating extensively in Libya um, and is pushing to have gain control over Libya as well. And on top of that, Libya this December is going to have elections um, there, which if anything goes like the way we've seen it around the world, especially in that country, um, whatever 
um, world superpower has their fingers in the pot there and that election is going to, whoever um, favors them is going to be the one who's elected. And then we may see Libya with a standing army, Sudan as well, um, ready to come against Israel in alliance with Russia and Iran and Turkey. Um, So things are just ramping up. It's amazing to see this. None of us thought that things would go down the way they're going down in Afghanistan. Um, And it's amazing to see just America crumple. It's sad. Honestly, it's sad to see it uh, crumple when you see our vice president laughing at reporters when asked about the people dying in Afghanistan um, and our, our president flat outright deny that this was going to happen when the reports had been there. Um, it's amazing. Um, but the Bible said that this would happen. The Bible said that America would take a back seat to everything. Um, because it's not present in the scriptures, though it's America's been a global superpower and it's been um, an influence uh, in some aspects for good in the world. Um, uh, our nation is truly falling apart, um, and uh, but again, it's fulfilling Bible prophecy. Um, what we're also seeing uh, is. Uh, military bases. There's a report that came out in 2018, or that from 2018 to 2021, the number of military bases and outposts of pro-Iranian militias and Hezbollah in southern Syria has increased from 40 bases to 88 along Israel's border. 88 Iranian bases um, within the Syria Syrian area. It also reveals that bases of the Syrian army, particularly the 90th brigade deployed from southern Samaria to Damascus uh, serve as logistics backing for the pro-Iranian militias in the country. The report presents two main lines of bases belonging to the militias to Hezbollah, and the bases are used by both groups. So Hezbollah, um, which is the uh, most well-funded, largest uh, terrorist organization in the world, is there ready, and they're basically just a proxy of Iran. Um, so things, again, they're, they're setting up um, for this to take place. Russia's President Vladimir Putin and Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan discussed the situation in Afghanistan during a phone call and agreed to strengthen bilateral coordination on Afghan issues. Um, the Kremlin said that on Saturday, put that out there, that um, Putin and Erdogan are, are working together now in Afghanistan. Um, So, again, things are just falling into place. So we see these things in the world, and we see what's going on. Um, It's heartbreaking. Um, We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We need to pray for the people. We may see a big influx of refugees into our nation as well. Um, And with all the problems and and the opportunities that that brings. Um, But... uh, the Bible says that these things would happen, that the world would get into a place where there is just turmoil everywhere and that the world would say, we need a leader. And we have that in the Antichrist that will come onto the scene and and bring peace. So I believe that what takes place in Ezekiel 38 will happen before the Antichrist comes. It will be another one of those things that takes place that kind of destabilizes everything in the world. Um, And... Uh, 
but I also believe that the rapture is going to take place before as well. I don't know if it's before Ezekiel 38 or not. Um, it would be interesting to see the Lord defend Israel in that manner, as Ezekiel 38 talks about. Um, it would be amazing. Um, but if not, we're going to be out of here, right? And we have a place with the Lord that he's been preparing for us. And um, if we have our faith in him, then we, we trust him. We uh, have our security in him, um, and we have a calling from him to be light, to be strong, to trust him, to not um, submit to fear, um, to not be anxious. So, um, but the Lord's coming soon, right? All right, let's pray.